reading from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 14. And before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to the reading of your word and the hearing of your word, uh, we ask that you would soften our hearts and our minds, that you would teach us, that uh, you would increase our love for you, uh, make yourself more holy, more magnificent in our eyes, give us more love for you so that we in turn might uh, glorify you with our lives, living for the joy set before us in heaven. And we pray these things and ask that uh, you would be with Pastor Mike as he brings your word, help him to preach boldly in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, We're going to be reading Luke verses 1 through 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they cannot reply on these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to be with you today. I wanted to say, uh, how do you say this? It, It doesn't sound that masculine, but this is true. I love Cornerstone. I love you. I love you guys. Uh, it just recently, the Lord has impressed on me uh, how sweet um, his, his fellowship through the body is. And uh, just love our church family. Love being with you. So I wanted to say that at the, uh, at the outset here. Well, I've learned something about myself. I have two levels of hunger. Two types of hunger got the normal level where uh, sometimes I'm eating just to kind of, you know, almost prevent hunger or just because it's time to eat. You're just eating because it's time to eat. You you don't really have hunger. And then I have uh, 
hunger after I've ridden my mountain bike. Many of you know I love to mountain bike. And after I go out for a ride, uh, that day, meals become a whole different thing. I mean, they are just enjoyable. And so uh, my wife and I will go out several times a month uh, on a date night, uh, dinner and a movie usually. And so I've learned if I'm going to pay for a meal, right, I've got to go for a ride that day to actually enjoy and savor that meal and, and, and love it. Otherwise, I'm just moving through. I'm getting some nods over here. So some of you have this same dynamic. Well, well what I want to say to you this morning before we uh, get into God's word is I, I'm praying for you as Joe just did. Uh, I'm praying that you would have that second kind of hunger for God's word. The reality is we have the same kind of dynamic going on with God's word. If you're like me, many days, uh, it's not a passionate hunger. It's not a joy. It's not something you're striving for and longing for and and can't wait to get to. I'm talking about God's word now. But you just kind of have this routine hunger for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I'm praying now as we get into God's word, that he would right now, I'm asking for an immediate answer to this prayer, that God would give you that kind of a hunger for his word, that he would give me that kind of a hunger, that level two hunger for his word. So we're in Luke 14, and we are looking at the parable of the great banquet, which begins at verse 15. But I've got to set the table before we eat. I've got to set the context here. So I want to go back to verse 1 and just kind of summarize briefly uh, where we are in Luke's gospel. And then we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 15, the parable of the great banquet. So back to verse 1. It's a Sabbath day. Jesus is in the home of a prominent Pharisee uh, at a meal. And Jesus is going straight at these guys. He is, he is letting them have it. He's, he's in the home. It says that he is being carefully watched. They are watching him very closely. They, they are not uh, on his side, as we're going to see as we work our way through this chapter. They are not like-minded with him. Jesus is there, and they are watching Jesus very carefully. And the first thing he does in verse 14 is points out their issues with the Sabbath. That they have misunderstood the word of God and what it says and what it means about the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were known for this, for piling on all kinds of rules and extraneous things to the word of God. They're going beyond the word of God. And they're making these things most important. They're weighing themselves down and they're weighing other people down with this. And they're, they're missing the idea of healing and love taking place on the Sabbath. So Jesus points this out to them. Uh, he then goes on and points out that what the, what the Pharisees, what the Sadducees, what the religious leaders were all about in that day were about pride and honor and prominence. We see this in, in verse 7 where the guests pick the places of honor. And, and he's, he's noticing that what they are all about is, is being well-connected, is, is being looked up to, and having power, and having prestige in their community. This is, this is what they're living for. And he's pointing all these things out to them at a meal, 
in the home, big fancy home of a prominent Pharisee. He's doing this at the meal. And then he, he finishes, this is all setting the table, we're almost to our, our parable. Uh, he finishes by telling them, by the way, when you have a meal like this, don't just invite your well-connected friends, your, your business uh, acquaintances, the people that you uh, hope uh, click you on LinkedIn and, and, and come and, and, and see you in your office at work. Don't just invite those kinds of folks. If you're going to do my will, if you're going to follow the will of the Father, then you're going to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. He says to, this, to them at this hobnobbing, fancy meal at this nice home that he's been invited to. So this is the setting. This is where we are. And now we come to the parable today's, uh, today's text, beginning in verse 15. We're still in the house. We're at this meal. Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, we have to pause here for a moment because we have to understand what's going on here. And we're going to see this clearly in the next few verses. This is at best uh, a change the topic sentence. Okay, at best. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus has just preached straight at their lives and their hearts, saying the way that you guys are living is not in line with the word of God. This is what we need to do. And they have not heard this. And he at best wants to change the subject. And he is assuming, this one who speaks in verse 15, that he is going to be there at this resurrection of the righteous, with which Jesus has just mentioned at the end of verse 14. He's going to be there. He's going to be at this resurrection of the righteous. Where He's going to be at this, this great banquet. This eternal banquet. Jesus has just been telling them, you guys are missing the boat. And he says, hey, this is going to be great, isn't it? So Jesus goes round two. Okay, and that's what we have in this parable of the banquet. He goes round two uh, with these guys. Let's come back to the text here. Verse 16. Jesus replies, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Someone's laughing. I think there's some humor here. These are crazy excuses. Verse, Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So some background, some context here on this parable. Uh, In those days, uh, if you were going to have a great banquet, 
Uh, as as uh, Jesus is, is telling this parable, this, this simple story that has more profound spiritual meaning and truths behind it. He's telling the story of a great banquet. And in those days, if you're going to put on a great banquet, you would, you would send word out, an invitation. Hey, we're going to have a banquet a day after tomorrow. Uh, would you like to come? And the response would come back, yes. And that's, that is what's happened here. I don't know if you uh, caught that or not. Um, uh, look at verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Okay, so this is a key part of the parable. These folks have already been invited, and they have already responded, yes, we're going to come. But in the first century, there's no smartphones. There, there's no clocks. There's no watches. So a well-to-do person who's putting on this banquet sends out the invitation. It's going to be day after tomorrow or a week from tomorrow. And then as the preparations are ongoing, the fatted calves are slaughtered, literally. There's no Rayleigh's. There's no, uh, there's no catering here. Uh, there's a lot of preparation. And as that steak gets to medium rare, do we have any medium rare folks here today? As that steak is getting there, you send the messengers out. Now it's ready. Come. Now is the time. And people would come like crazy to a banquet like this if they were invited. They would be excited. It would go on for a day. It would be go on for a long time. So that's the context of a story like this, what a banquet would be like. This is a well-to-do person having this great banquet, and he's invited these people. And look at their responses. First response, we have three lame excuses here. Uh, the first one, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it, because the field might run away. The field might disappear. The field might burn down, or uh, what, what is going to happen to your field? There is this lavish banquet, the kind of thing that the Pharisees and religious leaders would want to be at. It's about to happen. Lots of money you don't have to pay. Good food. Medium rare steak. I've got to go look at my field. The second one, he has uh, bought five yoke of oxen. Normal landowner might have one oak, yoke, yoke, oak, something. Uh, I'm looking at oak room there. Have one yoke of oxen. So this is a well-to-do landowner He's just bought five yoke of oxen. Well-to-do landowners, they don't try their oxen out. They have others that do that for them. So we have lame excuse number two. And we have lame excuse number three. I've just got married. I just got married. And I just realized I left my keyboard up there. Can you bring me that keyboard? Sorry to break into that. Uh, he just got married. And so I can't come to the banquet. I, I, I just got married. Th th these, are, these are crazy excuses. Now, when it comes to the marriage one, um, one of the passages in the Old Testament that we wish was also in the New Testament in the New Covenant is Deuteronomy 24.5. Take a look at this. If a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. We like that, don't we? like that verse. 
Yeah, men are smiling. Yeah, yeah. This passage in Deuteronomy for the ancient Israelite, uh, this this wasn't an exemption to to not have to go to banquets or an exemption to to work. This was an exemption from from long-term military service. You wouldn't be called away to Afghanistan or Iraq and its equivalent in the first century within that first year of marriage. So, so, so these are just completely lame and ridiculous excuses. We're not getting to the heart of the matter here. This is not why they're not coming to the banquet. It has nothing to do with land or oxen or marriage. So let me explain briefly this parable. Okay, What is this parable about? The banquet host in this parable represents God. More specifically, represents God the Father. God the Father is the banquet host, this gracious, loving, feast-preparing, celebrating host who is inviting people to come to the banquet. That's God the Father. The banquet represents the kingdom of God. It represents eternal life. It represents the new heavens and the new earth. It represents this great feast that we will one day have where Jesus is reigning as king over all of his peoples, over all of the centuries, of of all the nations, young and old, together. So this is what the, the, uh, the banquet represents. The servant in this parable represents Jesus represents the Messiah, represents the gospel, the new covenant coming to the people of God, Israel. Jesus is coming. He is here. And you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you are not getting it. You haven't even gotten the old covenant. And now you are not getting the new covenant. You are not accepting the invitation. You're making excuses. And so the first invitees, there's kind of there are three categories, three groups of invitees in this parable. Uh, we've looked at, at two of them so far. We have a few more verses. But the first group of invitees, those who make the excuses, I bought a field, I've got oxen to work, I'm married, represent the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, the, the pastors of the first century. So this is, um, so, so Jesus is going at them round two with another tactic here. Let's come back to the text as you're hopefully understanding what Jesus is getting at here. Let's come back to verse 21. The servant comes back. He reports to his master and the master is angry. And now he says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So this is the second category of invitees here at the very end of verse 21. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These were the kinds of folks that the religious leaders would pass by on the other side of the road, let alone inviting them to a banquet. These are, I think, their own people. You know, it's, it's hard to press some of these parables too far, but I think we're talking about Jewish people who are lame who are thought of as unclean, that we don't invite to banquets. Us Pharisees and us well-connected, well-to-do people, we don't invite them to banquets. That's the category here 
of the second, second uh, group of invitees. And there are some biblical reasons that the Pharisees got so off base in the way that they treated, for example, the blind or the lame. Let's take a look at this passage in Leviticus 21. Moses, uh, God is speaking to Moses here in Leviticus 21. And God says to Moses, say this to Aaron. For the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, or who is hunchbacked or dwarfed, or who has any eye defect, or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has any defect, is to come near to present the offerings made to the Lord by fire. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. Where am I going now? Anybody ready to preach here? So what we need to understand what's going on here. When we first read a passage like this, if your response is like mine, you think, this is bad. This is discrimination. This is wrong. So before we deal with this, first, let's deal with that heart when we read a passage of Scripture where we go, I don't like the God who wrote this. Do you ever have that experience? If you're honest, I think if you read the whole Bible, you're going to read passages on first reading where you're going to go, I don't like the God who wrote this. So when we do that, we're wrong. We are misunderstanding what is going on. And we need to pray. We need to talk to others. We need to look to others who are wiser than us and find out what's going on here. So what is going on here? There is discrimination going on here. But it's discrimination for the Aaronic priesthood. And the priesthood was a temporary thing. There is no priesthood today. If you read the New Testament, there is no priesthood. So this priesthood was foreshadowing this priest who was going to come later, who was of the order of Melchizedek, this great high priest who was going to do away with all priesthooddoms, our high priest Jesus. And so these requirements are a a foreshadowing or a type of the high priest who's going to come. And so there was discrimination for the Aaronic priesthood so that they would see and that we would see looking back that there is one day going to be a perfect priest because no priest could ever be perfect and intercede on behalf of the people for their sin. Until Jesus came, the Lamb of God. So what the Pharisees and others have done is they've taken passages like this which say nothing about the dignity of these people. This is not teaching that these defects, that these human beings are less made in the image of God. It is not teaching that they are less dignified. This is about pointing to the Messiah. This is about typology. And Jesus has gone way out of his way to overcorrect that error 
so that we don't think that way as new covenant people. That if we think that I'm superior than someone else because of the clothes that I wear or because I'm not blind or because I have a certain degree or because of whatever, fill in the blank, then we are far from the will of God if we think that way. You, you, you better with Leviticus 21 now? Okay. So, where am I? Back to this text. I kind of got off track here, didn't I? Back to this text. Where am I? These three, uh, these three lame excuses. The servant is sent out again. We're at verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. I'm sorry, we're at 22, right? Let me go 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. Okay, he's went and gotten all these folks from Israel, the crippled, the lame, the blind, etc. It has been done, but there is still room. Verse 23. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. This third group of invitees refers to the Gentiles. We're not just going after for this banquet, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind of Israel. We are going out to the country lanes and the roads. This represents the Gentiles. This is unthinkable. The Gentiles are being invited to this banquet. They are coming. Now, when they're invited, their response is going to be, you know, I'm not like you guys. I don't have the same skin color. I don't have the same accent. I don't have the same clothing. I don't have the same heritage. And I know I'm not going to be welcome there. That would be their response. So when the text says, when Jesus says, or the banquet host uh, says, make them come in. That's what's behind that expression in the NIV. Make them come in. This isn't put handcuffs on them and bring them in. This is, they're going to feel like you're inviting me to that place. I don't own a tuxedo. I, I, I don't go to the White House for dinners. You're inviting me to a place like that? This is the heart of God here. He's going after us all. And we have been grafted in, all of us Gentiles. Amen? It doesn't have to do with ethnic heritage. Last verse. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. On verse 24, we step out of the parable. And you have to be a careful observer to to notice this. But we've been dealing with with the, the dialogue has been between the master and the servant. And if you look at verse 24 in the Greek text, it says, I tell you, plural, humin. I tell y'all to say Texan here. Jesus is saying, I tell all of you around this table. He stepped outside of the, the parable telling, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus, unlike us, we should be long and patient and waiting for those who haven't repented yet. Jesus knows these guys are not going to repent. 
He speaks a word of judgment on the leadership here. Not one of, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Those who are making those lame excuses. One commentator says this on this passage. He says the two essential points in Jesus' teaching in the parable of the great banquet are that no man can enter the kingdom without the invitation of God and that no man can remain outside it but by his own deliberate choice. Man cannot save himself, but he can damn himself. And it is this latter fact that makes the preaching of Jesus so urgent. The meal is ready. The meal is ready. It is time to come. The only reason these guys are not getting in is because they have refused the invitation. Have you? Have you? And I don't mean this in a superficial way. Have you refused the invitation? Of course, we're all church people. We all believe in Jesus. But the careful reader of this parable would say this parable is directed exactly at church people. The people that didn't make it in knew the Word of God the best in these three categories. Pharisees, the lame and blind, the Gentiles. The ones who knew the word of God the best, sitting around the table, talking about the feast in the eternal kingdom, they don't get in. They're making excuses. So how do we respond to this parable? Three things. The next few minutes, and we'll uh, land the plane here. Three things. Number one, the time to believe is now. There is an urgency in this parable. The time to believe is now. We have to read the word of God back in its first century context, and we also have to read it for you and me today. And the message out of this word for us today is now is the time to believe in Jesus. The meal is ready. The invitation has gone forth. James 4, 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. The Word of God is describing me and describing you as a vapor. Pharisees don't think about themselves as vapors. They are the most important people in the room. And you and I are like that too sometimes. The time to believe is now. That Jesus has died for your sins. That he rose again. Repent, believe, and be baptized. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the New Testament. This is the message of Jesus Christ. As I was working through this, I picture right here, 
It's kind of interesting having it right next to here. Nick Harris came to my mind. Many of you got to know Nick Harris in his last weeks and months of life. As God woke him up, he had been playing games and making excuses almost his entire life, Nick Harris. And he got a sense that life is a vapor and I'm going to be gone. And I need to get right. And Nick changed his life. He began to get into the Word of God and he repented and he believed and he was baptized. And that's what he calls all of us to do. I know many of us have done that, but there are probably some here today who have not. You don't want to hear this parable of the great banquet and not respond to the invitation with with gratitude and thanks and with eagerness. Number two, The time to get real is now. How do you and I respond to this parable? The time to get real is now. What were, what do I mean by get real? What were the idols of the Pharisees? An idol is something that you or I are excessively attached to in the place of Jesus. What they were excessively attached to in the place of Jesus was was prominence, power, authority. Those were their issues. Those were their sins that they needed to confess during the time of silence. But what they are talking about are as land and oxen and marriage. They are not being real. And so a way that we respond to this parable in our daily communication, in our daily prayer time with Jesus, is to be real with Him. Here's my idols, Lord. Here's where my heart is. When I'm around church folk, I might want to be like a Pharisee and pretend like these aren't the real issues and these are my issues. But here are my real issues. Here are my real sins. Here are my real temptations. Here are my real struggles. That's what he wants us to bring to him and repent of. Not land and oxen and a recent marriage. The time to get real is now. We cannot have excuses in our lives that are fake. The reality is the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not want a foot-washing, Samaritan-loving, crucified Savior. They wanted a powerful king that would keep the rules the same and would keep them in charge. That's the Savior they wanted. But they got a Savior that was gracious and washed the dirty, smelly feet of his men, of his disciples, who went out of his way to talk to women and Samaritans, and the lame, and the blind. The question for us is, do we do that? Are we more like the Pharisees hobnobbing with those who are going to help us or we're just comfortable with? Or are we going after those that would respond to the gospel? We have to get real. And then finally, last point, the time to expand your guest list is now. 
The time to expand your guest list is now. Notice in this parable that the banquet meal doesn't change times. He doesn't delay the meal. He doesn't say, oh, you guys aren't coming? We'll we'll put that off another week. No, there's a sense of urgency. The meal is happening as scheduled. Now, it's been a long time between the first coming and the second coming. It's been a long time. It's been 2,000 years. This is part of God's plan. And he's going to come back, and when he's going to come back is exactly when he had planned to come back. And this banquet feast, this eternal banquet feast is going to begin. And so one of the ways I believe that we should respond to this parable is to expand those that we are passing along the invitation to. Because that is the mission that Jesus has given us, to make disciples, to extend the invitation of the love of God to this great banquet feast that isn't an easy invitation, right? We can't push the parable too far. It's not just, hey, come to this great meal. It's repent and believe and be baptized and surrender your life to the Savior, to the one who created you. That's the invitation. And the Lord would have us expand our guest lists. If the people that you have invited have said no, we don't give up on them. We, don't, we are not omniscient. We don't know that they're not going to repent. We need to stay with them. But we need to move on to other fields so that we might have fruit. So that we might have a harvest. So that this banquet will be full. In God's mysterious providence, he's chosen to use you and to use me to extend the invitations to this banquet. Close with this beautiful prophecy of Isaiah about this banquet. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. On this mountain, some of us, some of you recently have been to that temple mount in Israel where I believe one day Jesus is going to literally reign from there. From that place. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Isn't that going to be good? No more cancer. No more death. No more car accidents. Longing for this feast. For this eternal feast. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the invitation to this banquet feast. Lord, we know that we cannot earn our way, that it is by grace. Lord, most of us here have been walking with you for some time. And so maybe the place that we need to dwell, many of us, 
is the place of, of getting real with you, confessing our sins to you and to another brother or sister in Christ and being real. Lord, help us not to be fake, to put on facades. You want the real us. Might our prayer be, uh, we believe, help our unbelief. Might our prayer be, Lord, help me to put away this struggle with, with lust or with alcohol or with greed or with pride or with food or with whatever it is. We all have different struggles, different idols, different temptations. We want to surrender them to you. Father, as we come to the Lord's table, I pray that if there, there are any here who have not repented and believed the gospel, that they would have done that during the sermon, and if not, that they would do it right now, that they would simply surrender in their seats, in their souls right now, and say, I believe, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And may their first act of obedience be to partake of this, this bread and this cup, and might they soon obey you by being baptized as our, as our friend and brother Nick Harris did. Lord, we're thankful for this banquet that we're about to celebrate now that is a repeated banquet, the Lord's table. It's one that we do again and again. We do it in anticipation of a final and ultimate banquet in the new heavens and in the new earth. After Jesus has established his kingdom for a thousand years, reigning from Jerusalem, he's going to usher in the world as it will be forever. Lord, help us to live in light of that and to long for it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.